morning, church. Happy, happy Sunday. Sacrifice, such a good topic to talk about. So before we do, let's just, uh, let's just, I'd like to quickly pray. Lord, we just take this time captive, Lord. We take the thoughts and the moments, this time that's set aside for you, Lord, captive, Lord, that it may belong to you, be dedicated to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. So who's excited about sacrifice? <laughs> Whoops. Thank you very much. So talking about sacrifice, the thing that you've got to think about immediately is tomorrow, which is Anzac Day and the sacrifice that went on there. And it's interesting to think about sacrifice because it's something that's always better if somebody else does it for you. It's much more fun that way. It doesn't cost you anything. But if we turn to the second book of Samuel, chapter 24, verse 24. And the background of this is that David did a census in Israel and wasn't allowed to do a census. And the prophet came to him and said, David realized that he had done wrong. And the prophet came to him and said, you've got a, you've got a choice of things to do. We can either have drought or we can send a plague through, uh, forget the third one. But um, David had wisdom to say, I cannot decide what punishment I should have. I'll leave it to you, Lord. And God sent a plague, three-day plague. And as the angel of destruction came along and was destroying people, he stopped at uh, the Jebusite's house and uh, David was going to build a, an altar there. And the owner of the land said, um, no, let me pay for it. I, it's my land, I'll pay for it. And David said to him in verse 24, but the king said to Aruna, no, I will, but no, I will buy from you the part for a price. I'll offer a burnt sacrifice to the Lord my God that I will not offer, sorry, I will not offer a burnt offering to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So the first thing about sacrifice is there's no such thing as sacrifice if it costs you nothing. If you're going to sacrifice something that costs someone else something or it's got no price, it's not a sacrifice. And the question that I have to ask is, do we need a, do we need a sacrifice as Christians? Has it all been done for us on the cross? And we can just live in it. And that's, a, that's an important question because it's easy for us to say, Christ has been my sacrifice. I don't have to do anything. And it's true. It depends on you and what you want to do. So let me explain. If we think about our soldiers that are uh, in the Defense Force and the Anzacs and those have gone before us, they sacrificed. And we tend to think the sacrifice is to be something big like Victoria Cross or running into bullets or doing something amazing. But they sacrifice the minute that they sign up and say, I'll serve in the Defense Force. They lose their identity. They lose their ownership. They belong to the government. They belong to the Queen, actually. They serve the Queen as uh, the head of the state. Uh, they enroll. They lose. Uh, they swear allegiance. I'll be, I'll be faithful to my service as a, as a military person. Uh, they learn to follow orders. They don't have a choice to say, I'm not going to do it. If they get given an order, there's no, there's no negotiation around an order. As much as it may seem terrible or unfair, they lose their, they lose their um, own will. And the important thing that differentiates a soldier from a normal civilian is that they wear a uniform. They have to take off their civilian clothes, however comfortable they are, and they put on a soldier's uniform. And I wanted to add this in, it's a bonus, is that when they get the uniform, they don't get a rank with it. The rank is given to them 
by the authorities in the Defence Force. They can't go into the Defence Force and say, I'll be, I'll be a soldier and I think the rank of general will be just fine for me, thank you very much. That's not their choice. That gets given to them by the authorities. A civilian, for example, is they um, can do whatever they want. They don't have to wear a uniform. But I, wanted, I want us to turn to another scripture, and um, that would be in Matthew 22, verse 11. And this is the parable of the wedding feast, and uh, the master of the wedding sends everybody out and says, go wide, invite the people to my wedding. And they didn't come, and he invites all the other people, and they come in, and you can read it. But in verse 11, everybody's come to the wedding. They've, they've come and ready, ready to celebrate, those that have come. But in verse 11, Matthew 22, verse 11, it says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him out into outer darkness. And there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. So I want to talk about this uniform, this concept that as we, as we sacrifice ourselves, we change our uniform, we change the clothes. We need to take off the old garments. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, cast away all the things that hinder you in the race. Get rid of the things, that, the sin that is holding you back. And it's in this context that I want to say, um, what are we doing as Christians? Are we prepared to sacrifice our identity and who I am and what I am, my way, my obedience, the thing I want to do, and I want to submit it to, to Christ? And I really want to encourage you in that today is to say, I want you to consider your position in terms of what you're wearing. The person at the wedding, at the wedding guests was obviously, wouldn't have been, I expect, smelly and stinky. He would have been clean, but he's wearing the wrong clothes. And one of the things that we can get caught in as Christians is that we wear garments that are washed clean. And my question to you is, is your life clean or is your life new? And I think there's a difference. I think there's a sacrifice between saying, I've been washed clean to, I have to, take off, I have to take off the me as a sacrifice and I have to put on Christ, which is, which is what we have to do. And in that process of taking off, you've got, to be, you've got to be naked. You've got to be exposed. You've got to have nothing. Otherwise, you've still got some of you stuck in there. And I want to encourage you, is your life clean or is it new? Are you willing to sacrifice your thing to attain the Christ thing? Are you willing to wear a uniform where you belong to Christ and you follow orders and you say yes and you go where you go and you leave it to him to decide what sort of person you're going to be? Are you willing to sacrifice the sacrifice that goes for being a Christian? Think of the Anzacs, but think of yourself as well. You, are, you do not belong to yourself. Thank you, Colin. At this time of year, we remember those who serve their country or are serving in the armed forces, particularly those who lost their lives serving and paid the ultimate sacrifice. This morning, I'd look, like to look more closely at what it means to serve 
For servicemen and women, it's about serving the people of their country or the Queen. For us in the church, it's about serving God. What does it mean to serve the Lord? The first mention of serving God in the Old Testament comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. So if you'd like to go to that verse, if you're following me, um, I'm going to refer back to that verse quite a bit so you can keep that one open. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Moses was addressing the Israelites before they were to cross over the Jordan and possess the land. In the next verses, Moses instructs, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. These verses set out an important principle that becomes a, con a consistent message throughout the Bible. God already knew that this was going to be an on ongoing issue for the Israelites and ultimately for all of God's people. When we look back at the history of the divided kingdoms as we look through the, the two books of Kings, we see that this is a constant problem. This, the northern kingdom went off and served other gods and never came back to serve the one true God. The southern kingdom went through this toing and froing. Under a good king, they'd serve God. Under a bad king, they'd serve other gods. Then they'd come back under a good king and serve God again. And ultimately, they served other gods and were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. When they served Yahweh, the one true God, things went well. But when they served other gods, things went from bad to worse. These other gods of the people around them included Canaanite gods like Ashtoreth and Baal, gods of the Moabites, the Philistines, the Egyptians, and gods of the Babylonians. It was a straightforward choice. Serve God, serve other gods. And the Israelites had made a commitment to serve the one true God. But ultimately, they could not maintain their commitment. So now if we fast forward to the, to the New Testament, it's interesting that the first mention of serving God in the New Testament is when Jesus quotes that very same verse after being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. It's in Matthew 4.10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The next time Jesus talks about serving God, he takes the same principle and applies it to the context of his day. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Jesus is still referring to the same principle in Moses' instruction, do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. But he knew that the gods of the people around us change as the culture changes. Jesus specifically mentions money. And I believe he was implying that money had become a god for some people in that day. What about today? Would you say that money is one of the gods of today? What other things do we worship and serve? Sport? Celebrities? Personal appearance? What about this one? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Personal appearance and self. I think self is a really big one. We should ask ourselves this question. Who do we serve? Many of us would be familiar with the second part of Joshua 24:15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I believe most of us would say amen to that and agree that we serve the Lord. But I think we'd be wise to examine our own lives and ask ourselves, how do we serve the Lord? And do we serve other things? If someone else were looking at our lives, what evidence would they find that we serve the Lord? How much time do we spend serving the Lord? And how much time do we spend serving other things? I know that for me, there's a lot of self-serving going on. And there's plenty of room for more time serving God. I think we would all agree that we should put God first and serve him. But why? Why should we serve the Lord? You might think God doesn't need anything. What could we possibly do for him? And you wouldn't be completely wrong in your thinking. If we look to Acts chapter 17 verses 24 to 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So, our purpose in serving God is not because he needs us to do stuff. Or you might think, we should serve God so nothing bad happens or we should serve God so good stuff does happen. And that's true. But that's Old Testament thinking. There are a lot of conditional promises in the Old Testament and some of them revolve around the principle of serving God. The pattern is that if you do the right thing, you'll be blessed. You do the wrong thing, you'll be cursed. And once again, we go back to Deuteronomy verse 6. 13, and we'll read through to, to verse, um, verse 19. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. That's the bad stuff. 
Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. And there's the good stuff happens bit. I believe that Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law on our behalf. The Apostle Paul confirms this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Where scripture says in Deuteronomy, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, we can say that in Christ we have fulfilled that requirement which in turn means that we have every right to receive all the good stuff that God promised, even though we don't deserve it. This is extremely good news, because there are lots of conditional promises like that in the Old Testament. And that's only part of the good news about Christ, about what Christ has done for us. The good news about Jesus Christ really is good. So all this means that we don't need to try to please God by serving him. He's already more than pleased with his son Jesus. And if we are in Christ, he's more than pleased with us too. Our purpose in serving God is not to try and please him, nor is it to try and get the blessings and avoid the bad stuff. Because... God's already pleased and we already have every right to receive all the good stuff anyway. So if those are not the reasons to serve God, how do we find what should be our purpose in serving God? And as always, we need to look to Jesus, our perfect example. When Jesus' disciples argued among themselves about who should receive positions of honour, Jesus called them together and this is what he said. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to f be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In demonstrating what it means to serve, Jesus demonstrates what love is. Serving God is loving others. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. So my point this morning is that we have to be real 
about serving God. Let's not pretend that it's about anything else other than loving one another. Loving those around us, regardless of circumstances or whether you think they deserve it. Let's be patient with one another, kind, not self-serving. Let's be truthful with one another, but only in the most loving way. Love never fails. When I think of the servicemen and women who put their lives on the line for our benefit, I wonder about whether we deserve their commitment to do what must be done. For those who lost their lives, did we deserve such a precious gift? Probably not, but they did it anyway. I'll leave you with this one last verse. John 15:13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's own life for one's friends. Thank you. Hello, everyone. <laughs> My name is Jordan, for anyone of you who don't know me, um, which might be a few of you because I'm really bad with names and introducing myself to people. Um, but I just wanted to share a little bit about my testimony today uh, when talking about sacrifice. And it actually um, goes perfectly off the back of what was just shared. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And uh, if you've ever served in ministry, specifically if you've ever been a pastor's kid, um, you understand that people can be really unpredictable. And uh, my childhood was filled of lots of people coming in and out. Um, people would come to the church out of nowhere, they would leave the church out of nowhere, and that's fine when you're an adult and can have those conversations, but when you're a kid, it's really hard to understand why so many people in your life are very transient. And, you know, you don't always get the explanation um, of why people do things they do because you're little and you just, you know, can't understand it or adults think it's above your head. So. This is how I was raised, and it kind of created this uh, mistrust of people. Even to this day, I, when I meet people, I almost see this like neon clock on their head, like this is how long they'll be sticking around in my life, <laughs> and have gotten really good at like guessing. Um, so this, this is what uh, basically started my testimony. This is where I'm coming from. Um, I developed this amazing habit of keeping people at arm's length while letting them think I was letting them in. I didn't know I was doing this, it was just a defense mechanism I had developed over the years, but I would be friends with someone, and I, I wouldn't mean to do this, but I would offer them bits of information that I was comfortable with them knowing, while keeping most of it back um, behind the facade, really. And um, this created a lot of issues in my relationships in life. Um, because I had a lot of friends that didn't know the real me. And it created, um, I guess, a responsibility on my part to always play the part for whoever um, I was with at the time. And like I said, I didn't know this was all going on. It was subconscious. But um, in 2009, I decided to read the Bible all the way through for the first time. So I did it all the way through in a year. 
I had never done it yet, but I thought, you know, this is my year, I'm gonna do this. And um, the funny thing about the Bible, um, someone said this, and I can't remember who it was, but the Bible is the only book that reads you back. So while you're reading it, it's actually putting something into you, and it's, it's showing you a little bit about yourself. So you're reading it, you're reading about God, and that's becoming you know, evident to you, but it's also showing you who you are, who you are in Christ, and who you are when you're not walking in that, um, in that path. So um, 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, if someone says, I love God, but hates, or the Amplified says, works against a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also, again amplified, unselfishly love their fellow believers. My behavior was a defense mechanism, but the issue was that I was afraid. It wasn't so much about the way I was acting, it was about the issue in my heart. Um, let's go back two verses to 1 John 4.18. It says, such love as God has for us has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. I didn't allow myself to trust people because I actually didn't trust God. I didn't trust that he had me if people let me down. I was only trusting myself, that if I kept them at arm's length, I could avoid pain, and therefore I could do God's job for him. And during this year that I was reading the, the Bible and these things were becoming evident to me, I just, my heart broke completely because I'm like, God, I don't trust you. I'm, I'm doing all this work, I'm keeping all these people at bay, and I'm tired. But all of it comes back to the fact that I don't trust that in the end of everything, you have me. If I am broken, if I am trampled over, you still have me, and I've somehow lost sight of that. Not loving people was the behavior, but the thing was actually separating me from God was the fear. So how does this link to sacrifice? Because <laughs> that's the topic we're here talking about today. I only got to the point where God could expose what was in my heart because I was putting the word in my heart. Me, God, and my fear all in a heart created a crowd. Three's a crowd. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Letting down my walls was difficult and scary. It's something I still struggle with to this day, and every time I do it, I almost have to steal myself before telling somebody something that I feel very vulnerable, vulnerable about. But it's a sacrifice that God requires of me. Um, the fear of being deserted keeps me from allowing myself to experience his perfect love. God is a lot less interested in your bad behavior and a lot more interested in the condition of your heart. 
when it comes to sacrifice, I think a lot of times we think about the things we have to give up. Um, you know, you're fasting, so you give up food, or you give up certain experiences, or television shows, or whatever. These are all things. And there are times and seasons for that, but those are never the point. It's never the point to give something up. It's always the point that there is something in your heart that is causing you to act that way, causing you to you know, indulge in certain things, and that's the thing that separates you from God. It's not the actual act of whatever it is that you're doing. And I believe as Christians, God requires that we take a look at that, at that thing in our heart that is standing between us and the Lord and his perfect love. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, of course, guard your heart above all else, for it uh, determines the course of your life. That's the NLT. I have a second testimony to give today. <laughs> um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid, and I was very heavily involved with my parents' church um, back when I lived in the U.S. And uh, we had just moved buildings, which we know about here. Um, and I was the administrator of the church. I had planned to be um, in New York City for a week, and then we got the lease on the building, and my dad said, look, it'd be really good if you could come to this church service, and I did not want to because I very rarely got a break. Um, but I thought, you know what, fine. Hopped on a train, was there for um, our inaugural service, and I didn't get to sit down the whole service. As you can imagine, there were fires everywhere I was putting out. So I had about five minutes that I actually got to hear the sermon. Um, and my father was talking about Peter walking on the water. And I literally heard this little snippet um, in Matthew 14, 28, where uh, Peter says, Lord, if it is you bid me come, I will step out onto the water. Let's paraphrase. Um, but that, in that moment, that word just got highlighted to me. I had this like Holy Spirit moment where I was like, that's the reason I was here today. There was nothing about the service that couldn't have gone on without me, but that one moment the Lord was trying to get something through to me. And it was this. The wind and waves are really scary, whether they're imagined, whether they're real. All of us have them in our lives, whatever it is, whatever yours looks like, you have them. But if the God of the universe is the one bidding you come, you can walk all over them. It doesn't matter. If he's the one asking you to do it, you can do it. All of those things don't matter. And I just, it, it melted me to the core because I'm like, God, it is scary what you're asking me to do. It is scary to get out there and I'm afraid and I don't wanna open myself up because I've been hurt in the past and it's not fun. But I know that if I keep my eye on you, I can get out of the boat. I can do it because you're the one asking me, because you're the one protecting me, and in the end, I'm walking toward you. I think today, with all of the speakers, the thing that maybe came through, the thread, I guess, that um, came through today was that sacrifice always requires something from you. It's never easy, and it's always costly, but it's always about God getting something to you rather than from you. There is always something on the other side of sacrifice that is better for you. God is always asking for things that are holding you back, that are hindering you, keeping you from either the relationship with him or your calling, your destiny, the people next to you. There's always, when God requires it, it's always something that's holding you back. And it can be scary, it can be painful, it can be costly, 
but it is always worth it if God is the one asking you to come. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> so glad we did this. <laughs> we revisited doing this again. What a morning. I'm um, talking about sacrifice. <laughs> Firstly, starting off about the garments and what are the garments that we have on in our lives today. Wrapped up beautifully over there with, the, with a challenge about what that looks like and what it means to serve as well. You know, understanding why we serve. You know, Jordan wrapped that up beautifully in... Um, an invitation of looking inward, looking inward to not that necessarily the outward things of why in which we, you know, what we are doing, but asking ourselves, asking the Lord, why are we doing what we're doing? So this morning, if something has uh, been revealed to you, if the Holy Spirit has tapped on the doors of your heart, then I don't want you, if you can come on you, I don't want you to um, miss out. Thanks, Tara. I don't want you to miss out on an opportunity to bring a sacrifice to the Lord this, this morning. An opportunity that um, maybe God is, is speaking to you. Maybe God is revealing something to you that, um, that you need to come again. And maybe you've done this a thousand times, but this is a new day and His mercy is in you every single day. So I wanna, um, we're just gonna go through um, the last song that we did. And as we do that, why don't we stand? And we invite the Lord to search our hearts, to search our lives. And in doing so, if the, if the Lord has revealed or reveals to you something that you need to bring before Him, then I want to invite you to come forward and do that this morning. Father God, we thank You that this morning we've been able to come around Your Word and be challenged by that Word, Father God, to really look at our lives and I pray, Holy Spirit, that we will become transparent before you. If there's anything in there that needs to be cleaned out, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us the courage to answer your call, to step forward, not because we think we need to or we should, but because you're calling us to. So I pray for an openness in our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>